0: for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. So just real quick, we'll dive in, but I got this question every once in a while, is through this season, where's your faith? And what I would tell you is our faith was the fact that we were gonna wait, till September 27th, because we wanted to love our neighbors by protecting our neighbors. And we didn't bat an eye because we knew that Jesus made a promise that he was gonna build his church. And we said that during this season, we were gonna tell a story. We hoped it was a good story of generosity, of love, of reaching people, expanding our digital campus, literally to reach thousands. And today, we are a much larger church than we were six months ago. There are thousands of people via radio and online campus who are joining us. We've had people be extraordinarily generous. We're on track to be up over 20% in financial generosity this year over last in the midst of a global pandemic. And so I just want to remind some of you um, the fact that the church is alive and well. And I asked you to tell a good story, and you told a really, really good story, and you did not grow weary in doing good. So one more time, I want you to give it up to our staff, our bridge builders, our financial contributors. And everybody in this season who's done an incredible job. And I think the best is yet to come. So, today we're gonna talk about uh, what would Jesus undo. So anytime you're going to start something, you kind of naturally ask the question, like, what what do you need to rethink? What do you need to undo? Uh, If you're going to a new school, if you're about to be a parent for the first time, um, you unrealistically and unfairly judge your parents and you start to analyze all the things that you're going to do different. And then you get to that season and you're like, actually, they knew more than I thought they did. Um, You start to reevaluate if you're going into a second marriage because you don't want it to be like the first or you wouldn't be in a second marriage. Like you reevaluate If you're starting a new company, I mean, you just reevaluate and ask, like, what would we do different? What would we undo? And as we started our church a number of years ago, that was actually the question that we asked that led us to our mission as a church, which was to create churches that would tear away every unnecessary barrier to people finding life and freedom in Jesus. Because the reality is a lot of people have walked away from Jesus for reasons that had nothing to do with Jesus. It had everything to do with unnecessary barriers that got in the way to the message of life and freedom in Jesus, and then that led us to our vision, and a vision is basically like your picture of the future, and our vision became that we wanted to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And I love the local church as a second-generation pastor. Like, I believe that the church was God's idea. It's the hope of the world. But a lot of people who are watching around the country right now, or maybe you are in the house right now, you would say that my usual, in terms of my background with the church, has not been a good one. And the reality is, just to be fair, is there's a bunch of stuff that needed undone. And even today, as amazing as I think the local church is, still needs undone today, Some of the things that we started with was just personal experiences we've had where a lot of times the church can easily gravitate to this place to go, listen, you can belong as soon as you believe, and yet that was never the invitation of Jesus. It was just, hey, you can belong first, and you can belong as long as you need to, even if you never believe what we believe, because the invitation is come, experience Jesus, and Jesus has the power to change everything about your life. The invitation is not get your junk together and come. It's bring your junk. It's bring your crap. When you meet Jesus, Jesus has the power to change everything about your life. Or the whole idea that sometimes the church could easily gravitate, and come on, we're not immune, from being a little bit more country club, a little bit more us and them rather than recovery group of people who need a rescuer. Or the idea of everybody loves to stick on their marquee, that everybody is welcome, and then you go into communities where you look at those marquees, and you know that that is not true, and everybody knows that that is not true. And the reality is this, I don't know if you know this, the church was to be the physical representation of Jesus on planet Earth. Like, when Jesus peaced out, he's like, this is it. You guys, as jacked up as you are, like, you're going to be my representation in every city, every neighborhood, every community, and I'm going to be with you wherever you go. But the angst is we're the physical representation of Jesus on planet Earth, and so many times we look nothing like Jesus, and we don't attract any of the people that Jesus attracted. And I think the reality is this, and this is where I'm going in this series, because we have continued to hold on to things that hold us back. We continue to hold on to things that have become unnecessary barriers and has made the church unnecessarily resistible. I mean, come on, think about it. And, And if you are just joining us today and you've walked away from the church as so many have that listen to us or podcast us, this is the perfect weekend to join us digitally or join us in the house. Because what I would tell a lot of you is this, is that the things that bother you about the church honestly should bother the church. Because come on, think about it. What is the church at its irreducible minimum? It's just this. Like, this is an outsider's perspective, but this is the church. The church is a movement of people who follow a teacher sent from God to clear the way for God. And, And we believe that teacher is God, but come on, just from an outsider perspective, the church at its irreducible minimum is a movement of people who follow a teacher sent from God to clear the way to God. And what was his message? I want you to love other people I want you to love God, I want you to love your enemy, and that is going to be the epicenter of what I want you to take in every generation, every city, every country, every place around the world, every ethnic group, every language, it's just gonna be that. I want you to love God, I want you to love other people, and I want you to love your enemy. And you look at that and go, why is the church so resistible then? That's a pretty legit message. Why is that so offensive? Why are there so many barriers in the way of that? Because here's the reality, and this is what Jesus had planned from the beginning. The only thing that should make the church resistible, the only barrier that should get in the way is the fact that we are loyal to Jesus. Like that was supposed to be the thing. And here's what's really interesting. For the first 300 years, if you study history, that's what made the church resistible. That was the thing that they persecuted Christians over. They didn't persecute them because they were judgmental. They didn't persecute them because they were hypocritical. They didn't persecute them because they were too political. They persecuted them because Caesar demanded loyalty, and Jesus demanded loyalty, and the Jesus followers were loyal to Jesus, and so the Jesus followers were persecuted for one reason and one reason alone, because they were all about Jesus. And the church exploded, and the church moved. And you've heard me talk about this. In 300 years, it toppled the Roman Empire, And come on, here's the question I always think of. Like, what if that was said about the church today? Like, what if that was the dynamic where people like got around us and they're like, listen, listen, I I think you should get your daughter to marry one of them. You're going to want to work for them because they're the best people in the world to work for. You should hire as many of the Jesus Christian people as you possibly can. They treat women so incredibly good. I mean, their lifestyle, the way they handle their stuff, the way they love one another. Heck, the way they treat other people they disagree with on Facebook. Like, there is something different about those people. And yet, here's the reality about it. Like, at the end of the day, I just can't go with them because they believe that Jesus is God, so I'm out on that. But everything else, those people are crazy in a good way. But here's the problem. I've never heard somebody walk away from the Jesus movement for any of those reasons. I've never seen anybody resist the church for those reasons. But the reality is this. The only thing that should get in the way, the only thing that should be resistible, the only barrier that we should get that should be put in the way of people engaging the local church, which is the hope of the world, is our loyalty to Jesus. Everything else is an unnecessary barrier. There was a guy that's a part of our church network, and he told the story about a number of years ago he went to. Communist China, and he somehow had this inn where he toured factories in that country And they were learning about supply chain management and all this different stuff and he was a pastor But he was with several other business friends And they were touring these factories in China and they had this one particular tour where they were led around and they saw Everything that was happening on the floor and they got a chance to ask questions and they had several people in the group There was one or two interns that were in the group that basically were learning how to give some of these tours themselves and as they got toward the end of the tour they had this Q&A time, and they were going back and forth. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this, the, one of the interns, this really young girl, raised her hand and was like, I have a question, which is weird, because she wasn't really supposed to have a question. She was there to learn. And they're like, okay, that's fine. And so she looked at the guy that was a pastor, and somehow she had gotten a hold of a book that he had written. And she looked at him and just asked the question. Or first, she asked, can I ask you a question? He's like, yeah, absolutely. And then she turned to him, and she said this. And this is so powerful. She said, why doesn't everybody in America go to church? Because she lives in a region of the world that if the church is not state-regulated or state-sponsored, it can become very dangerous, and she didn't have any churches that were close, so she had been to church here and there, and back in the day, used to call them the underground churches, but it wasn't easily accessible, and there was none in her area, and obviously, she's living in a communist nation, so it's just not the same, and so she's like, okay, but I hear about in the United States, you have complete access and freedom to this thing, like you can go to church any time that you want, and her question was, why doesn't every?" in america go to church like that's a great question because in her mind with what she had so far discovered as a follower of jesus which she went on to tell this guy she's like listen why wouldn't somebody want to be a part of a movement that's all about loving one another and putting yourself second and them first Why wouldn't you want to be a part of a movement that's all about how you can have freedom from temptation and that you can overcome the guilt of your past because of the unending, never runs out love of God? Like, why wouldn't you want to be a part of? Why wouldn't you want to be a part of a movement that says, listen, you were created on purpose, for a purpose, and you have a divine destiny? No matter where you're coming from, what your church background is, why wouldn't you want to be a part of a movement that says those things? Why wouldn't you want to be a part of something that you are accepted as you are because you are made in the imago Day, the image of God, and God has accepted you because of God, not because of you? In language that I heard a long time ago that I love, why wouldn't you want to be a part of a movement of following Jesus that says Jesus will make your life better and he will make you better at life? Not a promise of pain free, problem free, but the reality is when you follow Jesus, Jesus is better than anything else you're going to follow on planet Earth. And she's like, why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? And the answer is easy for some of you, because you're like, that's none of what I've experienced. That hasn't been what I've experienced with my background. And if it had, I wouldn't have walked away or I wouldn't be watching online because I'm afraid to even walk into one. But here's what I would tell you is it should not have been that way. That should have been your experience with the local church. And there's a bunch of things that need undone that Jesus already did and our generation has been called to undo them. And I believe our church and the growing influence of our church has been called to undo them in our city, our county, our area, and beyond, and embrace what Jesus imagined when Jesus started this movement known as a local church. And here's the thing, like when you ask the question kind of as much as I love it, in some cases, what happened to us? The answer as we're going to see over these next couple of weeks that I'm just going to introduce today is this. It's not because a bunch of of new stuff got entered in. It's not because, because of culture in the West and all the things that we want to blame it on. It's diluted and it's perverted. And we're not the same. That's, that's not what it's about. What actually you will find in terms of where we have gone off the rails is because of old thinking that Jesus undid that got added back in. And it has woven its way unknowingly and a lot of times unnecessarily into what we do and who we are and how we think. And over the next couple of weeks, I wanna give really specific application about how we undo some of that. Now, here's the thing. In every ancient religion, just go with me for a second, there's basically four tenets, and this is described really well. If you want to grab a book, uh, a book titled Irresistible that does such an incredible job of explaining some of this, but basically every ancient religion is is kind of built around four tenets. This is ancient religion in Egypt, in Persia, in Greece, um, the Jewish people, all the way up to present day, but basically it consists of four things. It consists of sacred places, it consists of sacred people, sacred texts and then sincere followers. And honestly you could insert the word superstitious followers cuz a lot of times religion becomes very superstitious, but every ancient religion consisted of sacred places, sacred texts, sacred people, sincere followers. Every ancient religion. So you always had a sacred place, that's where you went, that's kind of where you met God, that's where like all that stuff happens. Then they had sacred men and it's always men, it's pretty much always men. Um, Then you had sacred texts or sacred oracles or sacred inscriptions. And then lastly, again, you had sincere followers. And here's the thing. With the sacred men, they always control the text and they always control the interpretation of the text. So literally in most ancient religions, and it's changing a little bit today, but it's it's always like these sacred men and they're in the place of speaking for God. And so they have extraordinary power. They, They literally control inclusiveness, exclusiveness, Literally, heaven and hell, like, a lot of people view them as having that kind of authority. But every ancient religion consists around those four tenets, sacred places, sacred texts, sacred men, always sacred men, and sincere followers. Now, here's what, like, maybe you don't know, is that that model that you could call the temple model, it's alive and well all over the world today, like, you could go into mud hut regions which, with witch doctors, and this is exactly the model that you'll find. You'll have witch doctors that basically they interpret all of the manifestations, and they have like this sacred place, and the people listen to them, and they talk on behalf, and they have authority, and people do what they say, but literally, it's, it's this, these tenets of ancient religion that make up what they do. Same thing is true in places around the Middle East where men have extraordinary power. To declare jihad or to offer an adolescent boy's dream of heaven and people listen to what they say and there's a sacred place that they go and meet with God, there's sacred texts. there's sacred men, there is sincere followers, but every ancient religion centers around this kind of thinking. Now here's the thing that may really surprise you, is that kind of thinking has still woven its way into local church today. In fact, all over the West, not just in mud hut regions or in places in the Middle East, those tenets of religion that have always been that way from the beginning, so it's hard to let go of, they have woven their way into kind of our religious practices and literally the makeup and the function of the local church. Now here, you know this already. Anybody that can speak on behalf of God in the minds of other people has extraordinary power. In fact, to my skeptic friends, I'll just admit what you think all the time. Like this is why in your minds religion can be so dangerous because you, you see power in the hands of somebody who is speaking on behalf of God and in your mind kind of controls heaven and hell. That is extraordinary power. And, and come on, that's still present today. Can I give you one of my pet peeves just real fast? Is is today in churches just like ours, there's this sacred man mentality. And so the pastor goes back and he meets with God in the secret place. He probably has a sacred place, and God tells him what to do, and he gets a word from the Lord, and then he comes back and tells everybody what the word from the Lord is. And I just want to say, maybe it's the cynical side of me. That's really an easy way to shut down the conversation, to leverage influence and get whatever you want. Because when you come into the conference room and like, I just had a secret time with the Lord, and he's He told me that this is what we need to do. That kind of shuts down all of the conversation, doesn't it? Like, how am I going to argue with you because God just told you? So I'm not, I'm like, I'm a little skeptical about the word from the Lord that the pastor gets and brings to the rest of the people because I actually believe that they could get the same word from the Lord um, as there's no more sacred men. So my point in all of this is they have extraordinary, extraordinary power. And here's the truth. This is what I put in in my notes. The temple model grants extraordinary power. To the sacred men in sacred places who determine the meaning of the sacred text. It grants extraordinary power to sacred men in sacred places who determine the meaning of sacred text. Now, I get some of the pushback, because some of you are like, isn't that literally what you do every single weekend? Like, isn't this like some version of a sacred place, and then you get out the sacred text, and you drop Hebrew and Greek words every once in a while, we have no idea what you're talking about, and you're like, well, I can't even compete with that, so this is what Brian said the text actually said, so we just need to do that, and then you go your way. and do. It. Isn't that exactly what we're doing right now? And I get that, so I'll come back to that later. No, I will, be here for a little series, but... My point in all this is just this, that no matter what it is, that that thinking that has woven its way into the model of the local church should not be. And what you will find and what I want to help lead you toward in this series is that when Jesus showed up on planet Earth, the arrival of Jesus signaled the undoing of the temple model and the beginning of something entirely new. And we're still trying to catch up with it 2,000 years later. Jesus with his guys, he's about ready to ascend into heaven. He's like, guys, you got to leave Jerusalem. I know you love it here. I know that there's some popularity that you got. You have to leave Jerusalem, and I want you to go out from here. I want you to spread out from here. I want you to take this message to every people group you can because it's going to be multi-ethnic and multicultural and multi-generational, and it's going to be socioeconomically diverse. It's going to be for all people in all of the world. The game is changing. It's no longer a Jewish thing. It is a message for the world. And so I need you to go. In fact, Jesus, as he's getting ready to ascend into heaven, he's like, listen, I just want you guys to know there's gonna be no more sacred places. You know why? Because Jesus said that you're sacred, and you're sacred, and you're sacred, and you're sacred. And when you are on the plot of ground that you think is the most sacred place on planet Earth, do not be deceived. The person to your right, the person to your left, the person in front of you, the person behind you is more sacred than any plot of dirt and any building that you will ever enter. Jesus is like no more sacred no more sacred places no more sacred people which means no longer will you need an intermediary or a high priest now everybody will be on equal plane and they will have direct access to God and the sacred text Jesus is like it is going to be fulfilled in a single verb And it's going to change everything. All of the Old Testament law, all of the commandments, all of the law and the prophets, all of it is going to be boiled down into one singular verb that's going to direct everything. Jesus is like, I'm telling you, what I am introducing to planet Earth is entirely and completely new. Religion and the world has never seen anything like this. And what's so interesting in the first century is that literally Roman people who knew so much about this temple model religion, as well as Jewish people, would meet those who are followers of the way because they weren't known as Christians at that time. And they would literally ask them if they were next door neighbors, hey, like, where's your guy's temple? And like, we don't have one. They say, where's your sacred place? We don't have one. Well, where's your, your sacred guy, like your priest? We actually don't have a priest. Well, what about your sacrifices? Well, we actually don't do sacrifices because we serve this guy, Jesus. He was the final sacrifice for all sin. And literally, the Romans would call followers of the way atheists because they're like, that's not a religion. You can't have a religion without sacred places and sacred people and sacred sacrifices. And Jesus is like, yes, you can because what I am introducing is something different than the world has ever seen before. And how do I know that? Because Jesus predicted a new movement. One day he's with his guys outside of Caesarea Philippi. And he looks at them and he's like, hey, what, what's the word on the street about me? Like, what are people saying? Who are people saying that I am? And, and they're like, well, some say that you're John the Baptist or you're a reincarnated prophet and all these crazy ideas. And then Jesus turns to him and is like, no, no, but I'm asking you guys, who do you guys think that I am? And Peter has kind of his defining moment. And Peter looks at Jesus and says, I believe that you are the Messiah, You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him like, that that answer didn't come to you except from God. God gave you that answer. And then Jesus turns to Peter and says this, and I tell you this, Peter, on this rock, or literally this statement that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, on this rock, I will build, future tense, my church. And he would go on to say, and not even hell will be able to stop it. Not any hell, not the hell of your past, not the hell of your struggle, not the hell of COVID-19, not the hell of culture. There is nothing that is going to be able to stop my movement. And what's so interesting is that word, church, you heard me talk about this, many of you before, is a, a Greek word, ekklesia, that literally means a gathering. It means an assembly. It was all about a people. It was all about a movement of people. And Jesus was very clear in this moment. I'm not announcing another sacred place. I'm not announcing another sacred people. I'm I'm announcing a brand new movement to the world that's going to be different than anything that you have ever seen. And the only guy who had the courage to interpret it correctly was a guy by the name of William Tyndale. So you will find in the first English Bible the word church is not there. The word assembly is there, which is the accurate translation. And William Tyndale was the only one bold enough to go, no, this is what Jesus is actually creating. And William Tyndale was burned at the stake. And then all the sacred men got together and they had a meeting And they realized that the Jesus movement very much threatened their temple model system of sacred places and sacred men and sacred texts. And so they realized that we can't have an assembly or gathering. We need the sacred place mentality. And so they took a German word that became church in our English translations. And it's why, unfortunately, when many of you hear church, you think a place, you don't think a people, but Jesus could not have been more clear that this is not about sacred places. This is not about sacred people. This is a brand new movement, and I want you to go out, and wherever you go, I will be with you always. Jesus created a brand new movement. Not only that, Jesus instituted a brand new covenant or a brand new, literally, arrangement with God. See, before this, as I just said, you had to have a high priest, Like there was no direct access to God. It was somebody stood in the way between you and God and they were the ones that spoke on behalf of God and Jesus shows up to go as offensive as this is. I'm gonna establish a new covenant and the old approach to God is over. Now you will have access directly to God. There's gonna be no more sacrifices that are needed. Anybody, anywhere, from any background, regardless of their theological knowledge or if they even know the language, they can come to the God of the universe anytime, anywhere, because I'm establishing a brand new covenant or brand new arrangement with God for all people. In fact, he was with his guys in the upper room. You made me know this. And he turns to them and says this, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant. And the Jewish guys around the table are like, okay, well, we know about the covenant with Israel because that God established that a long time ago, but we don't know what you're talking about in terms of a new covenant. And so Jesus said, this is the cup that is the new covenant in my blood. And they had no idea what he's talking about. Like, you're sitting in front of us. We don't see you bleeding, which is a good thing. I don't know what you're talking about, and we're trying to finish our meal. But, like, what do you mean that this is a new covenant in your blood? Like, you're, you're sitting right in front of us. And then within hours, they would understand. As they would watch Jesus being crucified on the cross and his blood literally being poured out. And I'm telling you, it was in that moment that their eyes were opened to realize that he really is the final sacrifice for sin. His blood is being shed for all of the world in all times. He is, to use a big Bible word, the propitiation for all of our sin. We don't ever need another go-between. We don't ever need a, another high priest. Jesus has cleared the way for everybody to be invited in and for the sin of the world to be delivered onto him. And so, he is the new covenant in my blood, Jesus would say, which is poured out for you in every generation, in every city, from every background, because now I'm opening the door wide in this new covenant and arrangement that everybody has access to me. And then Jesus introduced new meaning to the sacred text. And hopefully I'm going to come back to this because I think this is so misunderstood. But again, Jesus was with his guys one day and he's like, hey guys, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. That's the whole t- Testament. The, what was known as the Jewish scriptures, all the law and the prophets." Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. And you don't know how huge this is. You have no idea Jewish people in this moment because Jesus was claiming that the entire Jewish scriptures and the entire Old Testament funneled down to him and everything was prophesied about him. And so in this moment, Jesus is like, listen, you just need to know, this is gonna be a little uncomfortable, but I am gonna fulfill the Old Testament law. It all pointed to me. It all ends with me. It was simply a directional sign for what I was eventually gonna do for the entire world. And then Paul comes along a short time later, one of the guys that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he's like, it's true. It's as if Jesus was the guardrails, or the Old Testament and the Jewish scriptures was a guardrails leading people to Jesus. It's, it's as if the Old Testament was a cocoon. And ultimately that cocoon would birth the Savior, the Messiah of the entire world. And it was incredibly important, and it is inspired, and it is the words of God, but what you need to understand is it had an expiration date, and it was simply used to get us where we are, so the only one who could fulfill those scriptures, who could live out those scriptures, now has arrived, and all of the Old Testament is summed up in him. His name is Jesus, and so in that moment, he's going, listen, I am ushering in a new meaning to the sacred text, that I am the Savior of the world, that the whole Old Testament testament pointed to and i am here and everything has changed and now all the old testament law and prophets are summed up in a single person in a single verb that will change everything for the entire world and then jesus instituted a new movement defining ethic that i just pointed to that no longer is going to be about the 10 commandments shocker in fact we shouldn't put 10 commandments in courtrooms we should put the new covenant that Jesus defined in an upper room when he said, all of that's going to be replaced by this. I want you to go love God by loving other people. And he turned to his guys in the room and he said, a new command I give you. I want you to love one another. And they're like, that's not really new. No, no, it will be. Because I want you to love one another the way that I've loved you. And in this moment, they got that. Because right before this, you probably know the story, Jesus gets up from the table where he was reclining and he takes off his robe and his robe was a big deal because it was the sign of his rabbinical authority. All of his power in that culture was wrapped up in a robe. He took off his robe and he tied it around his waist and he knelt down and he began to wash all of the disciples' feet. In essence, he did for them what none of them were willing to do for each other. And in that moment, Jesus was putting on display what he was about to introduce to the world that was gonna be entirely new and entirely different. In that moment, he was letting everybody know in the room, hey, listen, when you get to the place where you're a big deal because you've been with Jesus, when you get to the place where you're writing part of the New Testament, when you get to the place where everybody's looking to you, when you have leverage, when you have power, when you have influence, I just want you to know that that leverage, that power, and that influence is not for the sake of you. It is for the sake of other people around you. And in a culture where might makes right, I am changing everything around. And in this moment, Jesus turned the entire leadership paradigm on its head. When you walk into a room and everybody is looking at you, it just means. Means that you need to wash more feet. Yeah. This is the way of Jesus. This is the new movement defining ethic. It is all summed up in a singular verb. I want you to love yeah. the way you have seen me love you. Amen. Then he turned to his guys and he said this, by this, by this, everybody's gonna know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Love would replace law. And self-sacrifice would replace animal sacrifice. And the vertical would be replaced by the horizontal. That no longer religious people, is it going to be about you showing up and bringing your sacrifice to a temple and praying your prayer and blasting your worship and your quiet time and all of the things that you pile up that are good, but they are not earning you any favor or points with God. Now, if you want to know where you're at in relationship with God, none of that is relevant. That's for you. That's not for me and it's not for anybody else around you. But if you want to know whether you get the Jesus thing, if you want to know whether you're following me, if you want to know whether the local church is on mission and on point, it is not about anything other than the horror. Horizontal relationship that says if I love you and I understand your love for me, I'm gonna go love the people around me, whether I agree with them, whether I connect with them, whether I understand their personality or not, whether I understand their background, whether they believe what I believe. The test of the church movement and Jesus followers is how I love people around me, to my right, my left, in front of me, and behind me, because there are no more sacred places. There are just sacred people. Jesus is like, it's all going to change. In fact, he goes so far as to say this. If you find yourself at the temple, Jewish people, in the first century, and you realize that, dang it, I got something that I need to get right with one of my brothers and sisters. He's like, leave your sacrifice and go take care of it. God can wait. Go fix it. Because that's the thing that's going to be most important to me in my new movement. And then lastly, Jesus did, and again, I can't put this into context for us, although I think that we understand the weight of it, but Jesus did what was unimaginable to first century Jews. He, he gave new meaning to Passover. Now, that means nothing to a lot of you. If you were in the room the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed and the next day crucified, when Jesus uttered these words, it was show-stopping if they ever wanted the reality gut punch that what Jesus was introducing was not temple model 2.0, this was it. Like, here's the only thing that I can put this in context. If Billy Graham, because a lot of people know Billy Graham, um, if Billy Graham, like, before he died, if he had this declaration that came out through his ministry that, like, hey, listen, served faithfully for decades and decades, and Billy Graham is amazing, um, did so much, but, like, on on memorial of my death, I want you to start celebrating me at Christmas. And there's this decree, news outlets got a hold of it. Like, as much as you love Billy Graham, you're like, What? Like, I'm not celebrating you at Christmas, or or Pope Francis, depending on your background, people around the world, like, so many admire, and like, he comes out, hey, when I decide to step out of this or I die, I want you to kind of change Easter around and begin to remember my death on that weekend. Like, what? I'm telling you, when Jesus was with his guys in the upper room, and he gathers them, and he says, as he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body. They're like, No, it's not. We've been celebrating this, all due respect, Jesus, for 1,400 years. This actually is celebrating the final meal that the Israelites had before they came out of Egyptian captivity. This ain't about you at all. We've been celebrating this for a long time. People have gathered in the city of Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Passover is not about this. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. I'm about to introduce something new. This bread is symbolic of my body given for you. And now on, you're gonna do this in remembrance Me, I gotta think His guys are at the table going, Jesus, we have been very flexible up until now, but are you for real? Like we've gone with you when you did the whole eat my blood, blood, drink my flesh or actually the other way around, like, but we were so confused and rattled by it, we couldn't even get it right. But like, we're walking away going, what what are you teaching? And these odd moments where you started to thin out the crowd and all of the crazy stuff you've done. And we've been here from the beginning, but come on, renaming and changing the meaning of Passover kind of seems like too much. Like, this is about Moses. This is about the man who led the Israelites out of Egypt, Like, Jesus, come on, again, all due respect, who have you saved? Jesus is like, hang on. Jesus, who have you delivered? Hang on. And in that moment, it was a dramatic way for Jesus to let them know that I'm introducing something that is gonna undo everything that you've known about religion and God, and I'm going to introduce something entirely new to the world. Because the arrival of Jesus signaled the undoing of the temple model and the beginning of something entirely new that the world has still not caught up with 2,000 years later. No more sacred places. No more sacred people. You have direct access to the creator God of the universe. And the only sacred thing about this building is the people who sit in the seats. Jesus is like, I'm introducing something that is all going to be summed up in a singular verb that's going to be applied to you, to your neighbor, to God, and even to your enemy. And I'm telling you, the church in the first century who had none of what we had, no power, no influence, no leverage, no political standing, no completed New Testament, They only had that one singular command. They saw Jesus die and then rise from the grave and he told them to go love other people the way that he had loved them and they went and they did it and it changed the world. But now 2,000 years later, a lot of that temple model thinking has woven its way back into our churches and I'm just telling you and hopefully you'll see this in the coming weeks, it has created unnecessary barriers an unnecessary resistability to this movement to the world. And we need to change that and we need to undo what Jesus already did. And we need to embrace this movement that is still new and it is a movement to the entire world. And the only thing that should be a barrier is our loyalty to Jesus Christ, believing that he died, he lived a perfect life, he walked out of a grave alive, he is offering life and freedom. And if anything else gets in the way, it's because we have gotten in the way of what Jesus intended for this new movement and we need to change that and we need to have the impact on our neighborhoods and cities that Jesus had as he was walking planet earth because we are the body of Jesus. (laughs) Would you pray with me, Jesus? I thank you for who you are and Lord, I pray that you would lead us in these coming weeks where it will at times get uncomfortable for some of us and it will challenge some of us and it will realter some paradigms for some of us and then for others of us, maybe many who are watching right now, it will free us up and it will lead us forward in a way that we didn't think possible because of our, our past background and experiences. But Lord, our heart is to embrace what you have designed and created this to be and at a personal level, be what you have created us to be in our culture and in our world. So God, do your thing in this moment. And I pray this in the incredible name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways?